Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 44. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast, where it's all about the business side of gaming and how to take your local game store to the next level of success. Whether you're a gamer with aspirations of owning your own store or an entrepreneur who wants to grow their existing business, on this show you'll discover the strategies, tactics, and systems that make the best game stores in North America so successful. The Maniverse Podcast is made possible by listeners and viewers like you. Help support the show and the creation of more, better content by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast. As a patron, you get early access to the show before anyone else, shoutouts on upcoming episodes, and access to a weekly Google Hangout with me where you can ask questions about building a game store, creating the podcast, or whatever you like. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Join the Maniverse community by becoming a patron today. Alright, welcome to another edition of the Maniverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin, that's me, and... I have with me my courageous co-host, John Coviello. Say hi. Hi, guys. And Wayne Middlestead. How you doing? From Doing Grounds in Toronto. Yeah. And Little Shop of Magic in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Self-promotion. I forgot about that. Sorry, guys. Yes. Yeah, you always got to plug the shop. <laughs> How you guys doing? Good. Really yeah. good. Fantastic. John's got some news for us. Sure. We just wanted to touch base real quick on a couple of... Uh, subjects that were, well, a couple of things that were the subject of a couple of shows that we've done in the past. One of them was sort of um, the issues that, that women face in gaming. And I ran across an interesting article that was uh, talking about like uh, a trend that we're seeing with the, the panel hosts at uh, Gen Con uh, this year for what they scheduled for this year. Um, there's a, a rather large, compared to what it used to be, number of women panelists. Uh, and that's definitely a positive trend. Um, I'm not saying that that necessarily means that, um, back to our original discussion, um, women are be being more accepted. I hope they are. This would be great. But at the very least, it does mean that Gen Con, whether intentional or not, is making a concerned effort to make sure that it's diversified, right? Um, this year, they're talking about 52, 52 or 53% of the panelists were female, uh, which incredible was several years ago. It was 2 to 3%. Um, that's a huge change. Uh, it's a positive change. Um, and hopefully that starts to propagate through the industry in the sense of becoming more accepting and understanding that there's uh, a percentage of the population that happens to be female that also enjoy games, and this is not relegated to just us. Yeah, it is. And, 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 you know, hopefully at the bare minimum with some of the newer players, some of the people that are just entering the industry, it'll start giving them the, the picture of, like, it's not based, it's not just males. Everybody likes to play games. It doesn't matter. And it becomes more of the accepted norm. So it's like this, this sort of thing that we were seeing before where it's like, what are you doing here kind of situation. Um, and then the other part, um, it wasn't really an article, but um, we have talked about it in the past about like um, with the judges' lawsuit and what it means um, to um, you know volunteers in our industry. I ran across an interesting tweet from Fantasy Flight Games, and they were looking for, and in the tweet it specified this, they were looking for paid volunteers uh, for their events and where to go sign up for that. Um, so at least a couple of. Uh, manufacturers, publishers in this industry are starting to get with the program and understanding that you know this is a job, and if you're going to do that, um, there probably needs to be some 
compensation there. And in a way, they're protecting themselves, right? Um, there is no question, is this an employee or not? They're just putting it to rest by saying, this is an employee. We're paying our taxes. We're done. End of story. But that was really the only two things I had that I would run across. Yeah, it looks like, uh, was it Fantasy Flight? Starting to see the writing on the wall? The Fantasy Flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tweets. That's great. Those are, those are both... Uh... Those are both uh, positive things. Thanks for sharing that, John. I mean, uh, you know, 52% of women in the Gen, Gen Con panel, um, you know, that's a fantastic move, um, trying to make the gaming industry be more accessible to women, more comfortable for women. You know, everybody has to do their job, game stores, conventions, uh, other players, and that's uh, that's definitely a step in the right direction. And uh, yeah, great to see that Fantasy Flight is making a move to um, you know pay their volunteers instead of just taking advantage of players' uh, passion for their games because I think that's what's been happening uh, over the years is uh, you know you got these people who are so enthusiastic about the games that they love that uh, it's not really work for them although they are doing work so it's good to see them um, respect that and uh, respect their employees or volunteers <laughs> and sure you know get all the legal stuff in order as well but uh, again great direction yeah yep. nice move on the uh the ethics side of it not just the legal side of it i think that segues pretty nicely into the actual topic of the show too uh, great updates but uh today we're going to be talking about the future of magic the gathering specifically some uh, some interesting developments that have kind of come up in the last few weeks uh, there was an article recently put out on the Daily Dot titled uh, The Problem with Magic the Gathering No One is Talking About. Essentially arguing that Wizards is trying to position Magic as an eSport and why, it's, why it just hasn't happened yet. And uh, I think one of the, the more interesting parts that he opens with is the fact that the Pro Tour just happened. Or just happened recently. Pro Tour uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. And they're I believe their peak numbers for their Twitch channel were uh, 27,000. 27,000 concurrent viewers. Which is, like, that sounds like a large number, right? But when you consider the fact that uh, Magic has something like 10 million players around the world, that's a drop in the bucket. And then you also consider the fact that 27,000 is probably, like, the slowest day on a you know the loneliest channel for league of legends or hearthstone like almost anybody can log into uh to league and start up their twitch channel and get a get a few hundred a few thousand like you could be nobody and people will start watching because the game is insanely popular in that way so to compare it or to consider magic as an esport seems like there's a major disconnect but uh, apparently wizards has got a plan my first thing would be, <clears throat> I don't know how much of this is actually. So Magic is an eSport. Coming from a guy that doesn't watch eSports, coming from a guy that actually doesn't watch sports at all, uh, I don't care if they're electronic or not, I, they just don't do it for me. But I find watching any kind of like game um, on, on YouTube or whatever not boring to me. And I understand that I, I'm not. That's not the case for a lot of people these days, right? People find that's interesting and they're interesting to it um, to, to watch. But um, I think there's a problem there in general uh, when you talk about magic itself. 
um, and card games maybe, and I don't know what Hearthstone does differently than Magic does, but fundamentally the big problem I have is it's, it's really dry. There's not a lot to look at. If you know all the cards and you know what's going on, you're sort of following along, but there's not a lot of visual oomph to the Pro Tour, right? It's not like you're looking at some kind of electronic uh, Call of Duty or something like that with a lot of action on the screen. So, so I don't know if that's part of the problem. Um, card games themselves don't lend themselves well, well to it. So I guess you guys are probably more familiar with Hearthstone. Right? So, so what's different between Hearthstone uh, Tournament and Magic? Okay, so the main difference between Hearthstone and Magic is probably the, the platform, right? So uh, the Pro Tour is a physical, there's actually people playing cards on a table, which means there's a lot more to like the setup, the cameras and all this other stuff that they have to get the Pro Tour online for. But also it's the fact that it is physical means that the cards aren't made for, for spectators. They're made for the players to, to be able to read across the table. So the, the viewing experience is completely different because Hearthstone right. is it's a digital offering. There's no physical card game, right? But uh, also, the other thing that makes Hearthstone better than Magic for a spec- from a spectator's perspective is that it's it's much more visually interesting. Like uh, it'd be it'd make more sense to compare Hearthstone to uh, Magic Online because mm-hmm. both are digital platforms. Magic is or Magic Online is is a almost perfect recreation of magic the card game in real life like there's no there's nothing really different like even the foils are kind of the same sort of idea there's no no real change whereas hearthstone there are like animation and there's there's fireballs and explosions and all that other stuff that's what you're talking about with uh with like a game like call of duty there's action on screen that makes it visually interesting for somebody who's maybe never seen the game before, could just watch it, and they would be able to just intuitively understand what's going on, whereas that doesn't happen in Magic, right? Right. Nobody Like, if you've never yeah. seen Tarmogoyf before, you'd have no idea what this card does. Like, just looking at it from a table, you'd see, like, it's a green card with some monster picture on it, but what does it do, and why is he touching it, and why is he turning it sideways, and why is his life changing, and, like, none of that's obvious, right? Which is why Magic is... Uh, a little bit difficult for people to get into if they've never, well, if they've never really played the game extensively enough to know what right. the cards Right, so I'm are. wondering if, if maybe the, per- the issue here is, if it is true that Wizards try and make Magic an eSport, uh, it's that really, those videos that we're looking at, the Pro Tour and all that good stuff, those don't really lend themselves well to watching live or whatever. But if you're the kind of person that wants to learn from this deck or that, you could just as easily go read a blog on that deck or watch it afterwards, you know, and just see how they played out that deck. Um, so, so maybe the paper product is just not visually engaging enough to, to me, even when I look at a miniatures game, at least with miniatures, there's some moving, some positioning, right? But in general, I'm not attracted to that either. So I think that it maybe the argument here is that tabletop games make for not great esports. Uh, they're not great to watch on YouTube. Even uh, uh, Will Wheaton on Tabletop was talking about like why he didn't really start off by doing RPGs. I mean, if you guys don't know what Tabletop is, uh, he does a show where he basically teaches people some very fundamental basics of how to play a board game specifically, and um, uses some some 
you know, I'm not going to say A-list personalities, but some, some pretty known people to play with him. And it's visually engaging. You have a lot of things moving around. They're funny. Um, with Magic, you're kind of just looking at those cards. Maybe that's the problem. I mean, this Magic will never be any sport. Uh, unless you're right, they do a platform that's digital with animation like Hearthstone does, right? Yeah, well, I think, I think what Magic needs to decide what they're going to be. Um, they either need to uh, step up the production levels of their live coverage, so it it looks more like uh, you know the big high end poker games, right? Uh, you can always see what cards um, they have in their hands. There's lots of different camera views. You know, you always know what's going on, um, and that that gets lost a lot in these uh, live broadcasts for Magic. You don't you don't necessarily know what card they drew in the announce are like, oh, I think he drew, oh, no, no, I think it's this, and, like, they're, they don't even know exactly what's going on sometimes, and they're playing catch-up, and that, that really doesn't seem to be the right way to, to properly uh, announce a, a game in real time to me. Um, so I think they really need to step up their game as a, a live format like that, or um, they need to create a digital version of their game that is going to be as beautiful looking as Hearthstone and as easy to understand as Hearthstone and um, maybe uh, the right thing to do is simplified a bit uh, which is what they're suggesting with the magic digital next yeah um, that does seem to be kind of a wizard's next move that's what they're, they're playing coming up in the next four to five years or whatever their their uh, timeline is going to be but yeah they want to bridge the gap between Duels of the Planeswalkers, which was their like intro for uh, the digital intro for players who maybe never played the game before, and Magic Online, which is really focused towards the competitive core players who maybe don't play paper Magic anymore because they can play Magic Online exclusively. So they want yeah, to have it, something in the middle. Yeah, and then the online is also super popular for people who live in in you know small towns in the middle of nowhere and they you know can't find any people to play with. But I mean, Magic Online's biggest mistake, as far as I'm concerned, is the fact that they did just completely duplicate the real life experience on a, a screen. And I think they missed a huge opportunity to uh, really bring a lot of color and animation uh, to the game, uh, like Hearthstone has done. I think Hearthstone did, has done an amazing job. Sure. And uh, Magic Online really needs to take some lessons and uh, uh, do something more than just duplicate real life because like what's the point of that it's digital you, you have so much yeah, you take can advantage do. of the fact that you're playing on a computer and you can do really complex things that you can't do online or you can't do on the tabletop yeah like why not animate every card as they play it you know like watch the, the creature sure. jump out and actually attack um, you know so much more they can do there's a lot of potential they've uh, really missed out on and I hope that they uh, they move forward with uh, some of that lost potential well, it seems to sure. be... And I mean, I can, can kind of understand if this was sort of like a beginning thing. Look, we're testing the waters. We don't know if people are going to go for a digital format with this. I mean, why would you play digital when it's a card? And maybe they started with that with a smaller budget, but there's no excuse for it anymore. I mean, it's been going on for years, and there's really been no improvement. Am I correct on that? I mean, there really hasn't oh, yeah. been a major change in the way it works. <laughs> maybe this next is what's going to do it. But yeah, no, some people would say it's gotten worse. <laughs> I would say it's it's uh, been a downhill slide. Like, I've been playing Magic Online on and off since beta of the very first version, like a decade ago. 
And I would say the original creators, the, the original client that they had was, a, was better. It was stable and it was, you know, it got the job done and it was fun and visually amusing because uh, this was also like, it was 10 years ago. So things were very different, obviously, like graphically yeah. wise and computing power. But I remember the way they originally made it was that you could sit down to a table, like a virtual table, and yeah. your avatar was like a minotaur or an ogre or whatever, you know. And you'd literally, literally be sitting in a table of eight, and you could see what your opponents, who your opponents were, and what they were looking like. But it was very uh, like top-down, isometric, uh, kind of like Diablo. If you guys have either, yeah. either of you played the original Diablo, like that kind oh, of yeah. pixely. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm, I like that kind of stuff. Like I like the eight bit era of video games, so I enjoyed that. But they've you're showing no age, Tom. Uh, yeah, sure am. But uh, they've they went from that, and they had something that was visually interesting, and then they started to kind of turn it into. It's almost like playing a spreadsheet. Like there's there's nothing going on. It's there's just numbers and like there's very little graphically interesting on moto and then also as the clients have been updated they've also become less stable in a lot of ways so they're crashing all the time they've had a lot of trouble like managing their economy there's there are a lot of issues with uh with magic online and i think a big part of it was because wizards is not a video game company but they are basically right. developing the whole thing in-house which does make a lot of sense like if they really wanted it it's they're a competitor now but I always thought like the dream team would have been like, just outsource it to Blizzard. Blizzard yeah. obviously knows what they're doing. They made her stun. They made it like within years, it, it completely overshadowed magic online within a couple of years. Huh. And like their the amount of revenue that Hearthstone generates is insane. Like crazy, crazy amounts of money, people buying digital packs and their model is just so much better. And like, if they, if I feel like if wizards had kind of, uh, who knows if they could have done it or not, but I think if Wizards had partnered with an actual video game company that produced games as uh, as part of its business, Magic Online probably would have ended up being far, far more successful than it is today. Because ten, year, 10 years later, we've got just stagnation. It took them that long to implement leagues into the program. Uh -huh. Something they'd be like, oh yeah, we're, next month, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And just... It never showed up. They just kept saying, oh, yeah, it's the next feature that's going to roll out. Don't worry about it. Like, it's a, like you said earlier, a comedy of errors. But, uh, so, yeah, well, we could go, we could go yeah. on and on about how terrible Magic Online is. Um, but, uh, you know, currently as an actual eSport, the way they do televise it in real life, you know, um, I think one of the reasons for the lower numbers, the audience numbers, is it really interests only experienced players, people who have already know the game. Who, you, you can't follow it if you don't know Magic, and you don't know Magic until you've played it for a while. Like You can just learn how to play Magic, and then it takes a while to understand it. Uh, and you can get better by watching pros play, for sure. Uh, but it's not doing the job it, it should be doing, uh, and that's uh, introducing people to the game. Uh, bringing in new players. I mean, that's what it, the, it it's... If anything, it's actually taking them away. Well, well like, that's sure. It, that's an interesting point. They're like, oh, point, I don't right? get the magic. I've heard of magic. Oh, wow, it sounds way too complicated. I don't understand what's going on. I, yeah, I can totally see it turning people away as well, for sure. Well, but I don't it, even mean necessarily, like, repelling people. Like, oh, this is too complicated for me. I'm just not going to bother. 
I'm saying like uh, duels is bringing them in, right? Like uh, I've talked to a lot of store owners who said duels of the planeswalkers. Someone yeah. like played it on Xbox yeah. and was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. And then like that kind of directed them to their game store yeah. to play the physical game. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. We, we saw a huge amount of people. Every new platform would hit. There was a new influx like Xbox now had it, right? And mm-hmm. an influx of people in the store because of it. So. Yeah, so yeah, people are and coming we in saw that, duels. We saw that because, sorry, uh, we, Go for it. we saw that uh, in real life because there was a cross promotion, like stores were given special promo cards yeah. um, that were connected to whatever actual system they're playing. Like if you played it on Xbox, you'd get one card. If you came in with a redemption card for a PS4, you'd get a different card. And uh, it was it was quite a popular redemption program. Yeah, I believe it was like Grave Titan and Primeval Titan or Fire Infernal yeah, Titan. It was they were pretty popular cards too. The first one they did Planeswalkers, I think. I'm trying to think, but it, it, it's been a yeah. Long. I mean, it, it, it was way, a great, it was a genius cycle. genius idea. Tie it in, yeah. get them in the store because that's what Wizards should be pushing for. Yeah, and that's what this magical digital next uh, sounds like. It's gonna the direction it's gonna take. It's gonna be a more uh, fluent, simplified, entertaining looking digital uh, version of the game. Not as simplified, I hope, as Duels of the Planeswalkers, but, but uh, certainly uh, at least that entertaining. So it, it sounds like we got basically two problems. One would be, and, and I don't want to say that this is specific to Magic. Uh, the physical product being an eSport, to me, feels like it's a nail-suited match. It's just, um, I, I don't do a lot of Magic. I played the Star Wars LCG, and I've watched the World Championship from Fantasy Flight Games. And it's even if you know the rules of the game and you're fairly an expert with it, it's difficult to follow. Uh, even the commentators, right, They're, they have problems sometimes seeing what card is being played. Like, you'll hear them a couple times saying, I don't know what just happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when the commentator themselves yeah. is having problems following the action, that is a problem. So Wayne, I think you sort of nailed one of the pain points with esports on the physical product is you're either going to have to really step it up, and I mean step it up so that you have, you're right, like the World Series of Pokers, you get to see the person's expression, yeah. you get to see the cards they're holding, his opponent's cards, you get to actually see them, right? Whether it's a digital rendition of that on the screen, because they have a way of seeing those cards or whatever. Not uh, otherwise, and this may be all they want. It may be that like this is a tool for experts to become better players, right? And they're okay with twenty thousand people, twenty-seven thousand people just watching the paper version. Uh, but then for the masses, for people that are tr- they're trying to get in the game, magic. Next is sort of what, what needs to happen, that sort of Hearthstone animation, cool special effects, and maybe the cards aren't really necessarily a big part of it. It's more of the, the pizzazz, but that's what's going to get the new player in, and then he goes to the paper product if he's interested in magic. Does that make sense? That does seem like a better funnel for uh, what Wizards should be kind of trying to get their players to to go into. Like, do what Duels is doing, don't do what Moto is doing. And I think that's what uh, Digital Next is supposed to kind of take care of. And then also, uh, to kind of cycle back a little bit, there was a point you made about uh, Will Wheaton's show and the Pro Tour as a uh, is an ill match because it's a physical game. I think one of the reasons why the Magic Pro Tour is just not... It, it's, I don't think it's ever going to be as big as right. any of the other digital games on Twitch or whatever. And it's just because it's boring. And the reason why 
like it's it's physically boring it's it's great for the players it's great playing the game it's just watching it's boring so and the reason why uh like will wheaton's show tabletop makes sense is because there's a narrative it's not actually the game it, the game is just what they're doing at the time it's the people and the conversations and the like the comedy to a sense like the humor the fun they it's they're creating the content the game is they, just they show, the structure they yeah, they they showcase the experience of getting together and playing the game yeah. instead of just the game. Instead of just yeah. the game, yeah, and Magic, he, like, he, he did it himself. It's like we tried, but it's like it's very difficult for people to get into that people shuffling. It doesn't it doesn't really yeah. work. There's not he. This came from him directly saying that the reason why I don't do it. And they tried a spinoff show. Uh, oh man, what is it called? With, with um, Oh, God, the internet guys are going to kill me on this one. I don't remember his name, but uh, it's a sideshow specifically about magic. And we, we tried for a while to stream it in the store. People just weren't that interested. Um, the guy's a fairly known personality. He's, are you talking you know, about uh, Spellslingers? Spellslingers, thank you, thank you, right? With so, uh, Day 9? Uh, day 9, there you go. So I'm yeah. sure right now the internet is exploding going, how do you, you do not know who Day 9 is? I, yeah. I do like the space. <laughs> um, anyway, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, even that with the cool background and the wheel of where they had to turn the wheel to see what deck they would get, they tried to inject some entertainment into it. But I don't know, it just feels sort of forced and not that much fun compared to, say, a joke that's cracked on the board game side by tabletop. It just doesn't yeah. seem to jive. I think part of that is also, like, the board games that they're playing are usually four players or, or more, and there's just more, there's more dynamic action to what's going on compared to magic which is almost always a two-player game even commander right. games are like kind of like yeah they're multiplayer and there's a little bit more action but the fact that it's a uh, you are trying to win the game at the expense of everyone else like no matter what so you're always it's actually very confrontational so you don't want to like just kind of the small talk isn't really there in the same way that uh, you know a game of settlers of Catan. right you just well, the conversation like, well, isn't the same a chess match, right? I mean, if you're in the chess, yes. that's very interesting, right? But uh, as an outsider, I'm just sitting here going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, no, not for me. You know, I'm sure high-level competitive chess is fascinating to people who are really into it. But if you don't really understand the you know intricate strategies that they're using, that would be extremely boring to watch. And I guarantee, chess on Twitch would be right at the bottom of the list. Because the audience for that just doesn't yeah. exist. And like the two players aren't really having a lot of back and forth funny banter when they're trying to focus. And like that's the other thing uh, with the Pro Tour. And like there's a. Uh, there are analogs to this with other games, right? Like there's the World Championship for League, and then there's been uh, like world style events for Hearthstone. But the players aren't really conversing with one another. Like the game is the action. In Magic, you don't even have the game as the action. The players aren't doing anything, right. so it's almost entirely on the shoulders of the commentators to make it interesting. And even they can't really do much to elevate what's really not there in the first place. They can, they can only make the game so interesting, and it's not going to appeal to people who've never played it before. Yeah, they have a tough job, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they do a pretty good job. Some of them do a pretty good job, despite the... The difficulty that the, of the task that they have to try and make interesting, but yeah, they do pretty decently. So uh, ultimately, we, I don't work for Wizard, nor does the writer of this article. So it's hard to figure out 
uh, Hasbro and Wizards what they're really trying to do. But if if the objective is to become like Hearthstone, then Magic Next needs to be like Hearthstone. It needs to be visually engaging, and yeah. and you're right. It needs to be about the game, not so much the players per se. Um, but if it is that, oh, look, all they're trying to do is like there's been a demand by twenty seven thousand people that they want to see, you know, what was played at the PTQ or the the, the Grand Prix or whatever not, then that's good enough for them. But maybe a little bit of stepping up of making it easier for people to see that, right? I mean, what is being played? That's what they're interested in. These 27,000 viewers that are tuning in uh, are probably tuning in to better their game, right? And they want to know what's happening, what's going on with it, not necessarily. And it could be that, look, you get 27,000 viewers right now, but you get like 60 million hits later on as people are getting to it and watching the recording of it, right? Because um, we stream it yes. between um, doing Friday at Magic. We put those videos up on the screen, and when somebody's finishing around, they'll stop at the TV, they'll look at it, okay? Um, maybe they're not going to look at it for the whole match, but they, they comment on the plays and things like that. But again, they're vested Magic players. They're people that's already been in the game, knows what's going on. I look at the screen and go, I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and I really don't. Uh, I'd like to sort of touch on, you know, sort of how he ends the article, too. Uh, they were saying that uh, originally the, the Magic Pro Tour, which they're trying to, to uh, stream on Twitch successfully, you know, began, their vision was a lifestyle opportunity for these Magic players so they could be professionals. And um, I'd have to say, that's, that's, that's a really tough thing to do if you need to travel all over the world, first of all. Um, to actually physically be there. Uh, you know, you got to take time off work, time away from your life. You need to spend a lot of money uh, and to try and maybe, you know, make that money back or make some gains on that money and the current price structure, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to do that and it's, it's quite an investment. I think, I, I don't know, like when I think about that, I don't know if real life magic is ever going to succeed if they televise that um, in the same way that it would succeed as a digital version if they did this magic digital next thing and, and it turned out to be something uh, as visually impactful and interesting and easy to follow as Hearthstone or better. I think they should actually shoot for better than Hearthstone, uh, put a few features in that would uh, make it even more attractive. Um, you know, and, and, and then the top players can just log in on their computer wherever they are. Uh, a lot more people will be able to participate. We would probably see a higher level of competition um, because, you know, there, there are a lot of barriers to becoming a Pro Tour player. Uh, they're not always, you know, lack of skill. It's lack of time, lack of funds. So it would, it would make it a lot more available to everybody. Uh, my only fear is just what this Magic Digital Next will become. Because, uh, you know, they do, they probably would have to simplify some mechanics, dumb it down a bit. And then at what point is it no longer Magic the Gathering? And instead, you know, Magic, like Magic Digital would be a different game than, than in real life Magic. Uh, I don't know if, if, if that's what they actually need to do. Um, but they, they need to do something. They need to uh, either step up what they're doing, the real life uh, streaming, like like the, the, the big poker shows, you know, have have props where like they put their cards up on like a, uh, you know, like a little shelf 
sort of like you put your tiles of a Scrabble game, so like your opponent can't see them, but they're laid out right there. The camera can always see them. Um, instead of, you know, because if they're, you're just trying to show what cards are in their hands, I mean, if you watch people playing Magic, they got all these different habits, whether they're shuffling, they're mixing their cards around, they're fidgeting, they're putting them face down. Because the, they're in the moment, they're playing this game. This is like a huge intellectual game. And, um, you know, you're not uh, always going to be able to control what they're their uh, physical habits are when they're playing the game. And sometimes those can get in the way of uh, viewing the cards, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what, what happens to magic if, uh, if this digital next becomes more like Duels of the Planeswalkers and becomes a separate game? I mean, can that even happen? And will, they, will it affect the real life game? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a, a scary Thing to think about um well for me because i'm so invested in magic i've been playing for over 20 years i love it's my favorite game in the world and uh to think about the game getting dumbed down so it becomes a popular esport just you know scares me to the bone <laughs> and that's so. a that's an interesting point too and that's one of the fears that he talks about in the in the article as well is that uh like what what will happen the the fear of the future and the unknown right uh, will that replace like will paper magic kind of fade away i think that would be a disaster personally i don't think wizards yeah. would do that cuz it's no it's a massive revenue stream so like that wouldn't make any sense but like will it compete with itself will it end up kind of destroying the essence of what made the game fun i don't know a couple Maybe. perspectives yeah. I can offer. Uh, um, one being okay, the um, the lifestyle, right? Being a mm. professional magic player. So, uh, being in Vegas, there's a unique. I can offer some unique insight. Uh, we routinely get professional poker players in our magic game. Okay, they're here for World Series of Poker, whatever, and not right down the street at the Rio, right? And to be honest with you, when they're done with that, they come in the store to play magic. Uh, they also play. Magic competitively, and when you talk to a lot, a lot of them, it's seasonal for them, right? Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Some of these guys do it or try to do it as a profession, but the reality is they have a job, and then they take some vacation time, and they go do whatever they want to do because it's up or down, right? It's a really difficult. You you talked about this way. It's difficult to make the travel costs, make the things, and there's a certain amount of luck with poker, with magic. When when you're out, you're out, right? I mean, um, we had a gentleman who. Uh, I don't think he's in Vegas anymore, but literally sometimes we'd have to ask him, hey, man, we really need to address your hygiene. Uh, because if he was doing well at poker, he would get a hotel room comp and he'd shower. Otherwise, he'd spend the night on the bus, right? It's that that kind of ups and downs when you talk about uh, um, the I'm not saying all the pros are like that, but you, you have this sort of like a whole bunch of people that aspire to be pros and they're sort of in this re weird limbo land of I'm playing poker today, I'm playing magic tomorrow, I'm playing blackjack, whatever I can get my hands on, right? Um, so I don't know if that's really what they're trying to pitch because that's a really difficult style to maintain. Um, the other thing, um, now I don't remember, oh, talking about the digital versus what it'll take away from the physical, it's possible that even if they do that, you, Wayne, will go, this is not magic, I'm not playing that. And you will just play magic physical because that's the game you grew up with, that's the game you love, and it engages you in levels that the other one won't. So you create a separate audience. Or it's possible you go, you know, because like when I play board games, there's sometimes where I want the meaty 11-hour board game, and there's sometimes where I'm like, man, I just want 
throw some dice, zombie dice, and just real quick play 15 minutes and be done. So it's, it's possible you see the separation there. The other third possibility is, um, so for a while, uh, World of Warcraft was being, um, was being heralded as the doomsday of RPGs, right? And WoW is gone to a period of like fluffing up. They're just literally, they lost a bunch of players. Now, does that mean the reason why we're seeing a pickup in the paper RPGs again is because WoW lost players? Or is it just people go through cycles and they're heavy into something and then they get into something else? I don't know. There's so many other possibilities too. I mean, I don't RPG that much anymore because I grew up and life got in the way, right? I don't have a regular group that always gets together. They have the same schedule as me. So I play more board games and, and things that are done in a couple of hours. It's very difficult to establish the, the, the exact sources of trends, right? Uh, but for sure, you don't know if Magic diversifying into the the digital aspect is like this, and the physical aspect is like that. Because um, I mean, there's even we have an audience here in the store for that um, uh, the Planeswalker game that's really based on the HeroScape stuff, right? It's still Magic oriented. A lot of my Magic players play it, but it's a completely different experience. It's a board game. It's a it's a miniatures game that you play, right? And just recently, they put out an article where they um, started bringing in the world, the Planeswalker world, into D and D, right? So there might be more of a like, this is our brand, and we're going to give it to people in a million different ways and leave it up to them to figure out how they want to engage with it. You know, so it might that's, not that's interesting. affect it. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually thought of a, a magic set based on, um, I'm sure it's not a new idea, but based on Dungeons and Dragons. So that, uh, yeah. you know, there would be like an ancient yeah. red dragon. Pardon me? They own both properties, so it's there should be yeah, well, exactly. It would be great. It's, it's like I could see them doing like a Dungeons and Dragons block. It'd be it'd be pretty cool. It'd be it'd be such a fun crossover. Um, there's lots of possibilities that they have with with um, their branding is already so huge and their audience is so huge. Um, it would make sense going the other way too. If they just created a D and D campaign set in Innistrad or something like that. Right. So, and I don't know if it, if it gets dumbed down and Wayne doesn't like it, and Wayne's probably not going to play it. I mean, that's that's literally I, I think what well, would happen there. I don't know if it's going to poach your well, players let me, or. Let me speak yeah. to that point. Let me speak to that point because uh, I did try Magic Online, and like okay. you know, Magic Online is the exact experience of of you know real life Magic on on the computer, and. Um, at first, I got I was all excited and oh, this is cool and I can play any time. And this was back when uh, Thomas, you were talking about your little avatar and you walked to the table. That's yeah. when I played. Um, but it was very, very quickly turned off to experience because when you game with people online, you're gaming with people who uh, you know are hiding behind anonymous. Uh, screen names and uh, they're not accountable to what they say. And the behavior online is, is quite atrocious. And that, that turned me off right away. But at the same time, I also was like, why, why am I playing the same game and having a lesser experience? Because I'd rather play in real life anyways with my own friends or even people I don't know and meet them for the first time. You know, that part of the experience is what, you know, is part of what I value. And uh, I don't, you know, you don't get that same connection online. And um, That's you're... For sure. You know, you're also paying full price for digital objects that you don't even own uh, unless you're able to collect complete sets and cash them in, of course. And that's another important point I wanted um, to, to, so, to hit on after you're done. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, go ahead. You can take it from there. Okay. So one of the, the, the main objections that I had personally for Magic Online was I enjoyed playing the paper product. I had a sizable collection at the time, and I wanted to play it. But I would if, if I wanted to play Magic Online, be either standard or modern or whatever, I would basically have to split whatever you know my budget was for Magic. There, you can't you can't really do both you know, concurrently. You had to divide yourself, okay. and it was kind of like a why bother? Why would you do that? Unless you wanted to just double up, which it wasn't isn't an option for most people. I would think usually they have a you know x number of dollars that goes to their hobby every month and that's it. But yeah, uh, yeah like and that was what I was kind of uh, talking about before was that duels brought play, brought magic players to the store. Magic uh, Magic Online kind of takes players away from the store because it is taking part of their budget or maybe all of their budget. Yeah for Moto or for uh, for Magic for their hobby, and now it's going straight into Magic Online as opposed to whatever their local game store was and the paper product. So that's why... Yeah, I it is like sort of like Wizards is cutting out... It's cutting out the middleman, right? It's like Wizards cut, it's cutting out the, the middleman and they're just take, getting them the money directly through the digital product. But I, I also really feel like, you know, me being an example, there are different audiences. I mean, there's people people who will play online as people who will play in real life and they won't do the other one. Um, there, there, of course, there's going to be some crossover and there, of course, there's going to be those top players that uh, don't pay, don't pay to play on online because they do so well that they go, they go infinite with all their tickets and stuff. Yeah. Um, they just keep winning. And so for them, it's not, uh, not a double down cost for them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as, as far as, as, as changing the, uh, the digital next into something more simplified and stuff, um, you know, when you think about the changes they made in the real life game, I mean, when Mirrodin came out and they changed the, the card, frame? card face design, people like quit the game because they're like, my cards don't match anymore. You know, they, they, they've been really good about keeping the back of the card design the same. Uh, except with these stupid Innistrad flip cards, which throws a wrench. <laughs> so many things, the, the drafting uh, uh, and, uh, you know, needing sleeves and needing these stupid tick-off cards. When I, I feel one of the worst design ideas they've ever made. Um, you know, even even good cards like Jake's. <laughs> I would rather see I no love, Jake's. I, I love the flavor wing, but I agree with you with it's horrible yeah. to play with. So. Yeah, mechanically it's terrible, but design-wise, I think it's pretty cool. But yeah, they probably but should have figured out a different way to do it. Exactly, like like the flip cards. That was kind of kind of cool. Like, like they already figured out a way to change a card by flipping it. Not not flipping it upside or uh, uh, right around to the other side, but but the ones from Kamigawa where there was two right. cards, like the flip cards. There was a top and bottom, and you just rotate the card around. You know that. That was already figured out as far as I was concerned. So, so to actually print two sides to a card and flip it physically over, I didn't think that was really necessary. Um, but regardless, I mean, there That's is such an, an outcry every time. Every time they make a, a, a small change to the Magic cards, there's this huge outcry. And I just can't imagine what the outcry would be uh, if they dumbed down this Digital Next game changed it so that it was it was essentially not the same game anymore. I mean, 
it can't be if they if they if they change it in any way it's just not going to be magic the gathering anymore right um so they're they're gonna have to you know face that uh risk as well in the hopes (laughs) you see he doesn't like the idea either no he's really unhappy about it (laughs) but in the hopes of you know this magic nexus they're hopeful it will bring in this whole new audience so um at the risk of uh outcasting older dedicated players uh, so I think that's definitely, uh, you know, something they're going to have to, a challenge they're going to have to face. Maybe we should stop talking about Magic Digital Next. Seems to be upsetting. Yeah, apparently. It's upsetting yeah, to the, the young ones. <laughs> well, he's the future. He's the one that's going to play this Magic Next or whatever not. So I, guess so I can see why he's got an opinion on it. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, personally, um, can't wait. Going back a little bit on that article, if you guys uh, yeah. got a moment. So... I don't know how much also he's reading into, you know, what, again, Hasbro Wizards might want to do with this. Because uh, one of the things he points out is that, you know, once upon a time, um, Peter Atkinson, the owner of Wizards of the Coast, had claimed that he wanted to make it this eSport thing. Which, when you look at the time that statement was made, the statement was he wanted to make games as big as the movies. We got to understand mm-hmm. several years ago. Games were not this form of entertainment that they are today, right? And I, I feel what was meant with that was to take gaming into the mainstream to the point where people consider it as a form of entertainment like they do with movies. Mm, I got a couple hours to kill. What do I do? So do you go play a board game? Do you go watch a movie, right? Nowadays, you can make that sort of go, oh, you know, I, what do you do for fun? I play games. I go to movies. I, it's in that category. Versus before, it was this weird esoteric stuff that the weird demon worshiper guys played in the basement, and, uh, you know, or these guys that were grown up and played with toy soldiers, right? Um, so, in a way, I feel magic has achieved that. It's put us into a much bigger um, audience. And now board games, too, right, with the renaissance of board games kind of situation. Um we are becoming an entertainment option. We are one of the choices versus like, what the heck is this? So I don't know how much of it has got to be e-tainment, right? Or just, it's a form of entertainment. We're achieving our goal of making magic a household name. That's, uh, that's interesting, John, because uh, they, they're really, uh, really going to focus, I think, on the storyline. And I think that's what they need to do. Um, like this article is touching upon, focus on Jace and Chandra as opposed to uh, the pro players. And uh, the Magic the Gathering movie uh, that is supposed to be coming out, <clears throat> you know, it's got huge potential. Pokemon has done it successfully. Yu-Gi-Oh! has done it successfully. Um, you know, so there's, there's definitely untapped potential to making the game even bigger and more mass-marketed through, uh, through a movie. Uh, or even, geez, if they did a Saturday morning cartoon, you know, um, like they did for Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. But, uh, I, you know, that, that could be a huge uh, forward momentum for them. Um, I mean, they, 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 they touched on this article about raising the, the money of the, the prizes to make it more successful eSport. But, I mean, that's easy to do. That's just money, you know. They've got lots of money. But money alone is certainly not going to draw in spectators. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's a sweet spot where people hear one million, they're like, ooh, what's this all about? 
but you know, Maybe. the way magic's being presented currently uh, on Twitch when they're streaming it, uh, they'd be like, oh, okay, well, this is confusing. I don't understand. It's not very entertaining to watch. And uh, they, there would be no, uh, no viewer retention um, aside from the first, ooh, a million dollars for something. Mm-hmm. I have some mixed feelings about that, too. I feel that it encourages um, a much more competitive, and I understand that Magic is considered more competitive than most of the other games out there, right? Uh, CCGs in general, but realistically speaking, the setting this expectation that you can make a living at this or versus enjoy the game for what it's a game, right? Have fun. Um, I'm really torn about that. Uh, I kind of feel like some of the the competitors sometimes drives in in a direction I don't enjoy, and I feel most of the people don't miss it. They might get turned off by that, like you know, I went to play, got smashed because people were just concerned with building deck list A, B, or C from the the, the PTQ, you know. So yeah, yeah, I would say the nature of the game has changed quite a bit. If you think of what happens or what the, the game was like 15 years ago, kind of before you know star city games started publishing articles before the internet really made it uh made the whole feedback loop so much faster you kind of just played whatever you wanted to right you could build whatever you felt like and you could probably do reasonably well like there was still the pro tour lists and stuff but it wasn't the same kind of uh, net decking mentality that kind of exists today where the cards and the deck lists are so refined to be um, like hyper competitive because the the information uh-huh. feedback is so rapid, right? And like that's uh, something that they they wanted to they changed that a few years ago. Uh, Magic Online used to have they would publish all the four O daily winning deck lists from all of their events, and what that basically did was it was an easy place to data mine and see what all the kind of the best deck lists would be for any given week. So tournaments would rapidly start to devolve into like a uh, metagame of two or three decks just because the uh, the refinement of what was good was so quick that uh, wizards pulled back and decided that we're not going to publish this information anymore we're going to make it so that there's only one one per week or something something they highlight to kind of put some friction into the whole system to kind of make it so that it doesn't uh, doesn't advance so quickly and that's that's what they're kind of trying to achieve with standard and constantly changing the card pools. They're trying to slow it down to make it still interesting for players to play whatever they want without being completely annihilated by the, you know, the uh, consensus tier one best deck all the time. Yeah. Because it's the best, been figured the out. best decks have a limited lifetime now. And I, I do like that. I do like that. And, and, but I also think uh, um, the diversity of the type of player that Magic attracts, like from the from the very super casual guy to the, you know, the Timmy, um, the Spike, the super competitive guy. Um, what's the third one? God, it's terrible. I should know those three archetypes. Timmy, Johnny. Uh, Johnny, that's it, Johnny. I can't even remember what Johnny is. But, uh, you know, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the pro tour, you know, that, that's, that's having this high competitive level. It, it gives you something to aim for if you're that competitive player. Um, it, it gives you a window to what competitive play is like for, for Magic. Um, and then there's, like, you know, just super casual players that could care less. And, you know, the casual players really do outnumber the yeah, competitive players by quite a margin. Um, 
you know, you hear about the competitive players because they're active and they're posting things. Um, the casual players aren't doing that because they're just playing and having fun, <laughs> not putting up, right. you know, reports of their hanging out with their friends. Although I, I actually used to write uh, articles um, specifically about multiplayer magic, um, and it was just a recount of my my monthly uh, get together with my friends, and uh, they were quite popular at the time and unique. And I was asked to to write on uh, some different sites, but uh, I didn't want it to become a job. You know, I didn't want it to become a response. I just, you know, because I, I am, personally, I'm such a casual player that uh, I don't want it to become work, you know, as, as strange as I was to say from somebody that owns a magic shop. Um, you know, it is it is a business, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm two different people. I'm, uh, I'm a player and I'm a store owner. So when I'm a player, uh, I identify with the casual players. Um, I do like to compete as well, but it's just, you know, magic is such a great game for that. It has, it has this attraction to so many different types of players. It's not a game for a specific type of player. It's a game for every kind of player. Yeah, that's definitely part of its, its appeal and its, its staying power, I think, is because it does attract so many. And I think uh, there's an interesting thought experiment that I just kind of considered was, would it be bad? Well, maybe not, would it be bad? What would happen if the pro player just didn't exist? It didn't. It didn't exist ever. Like it wasn't a real thing. Would uh, magic be negatively impacted? Because I don't know if it would necessarily be a major problem. Well, I think I think the game has so many players and fans that uh, you know they would be uploading videos of crazy, silly games or something. You know, it would be a whole different uh, type of material they'd be streaming or, or putting on YouTube or whatever. Um, you know that you hear about. At one of the world championships, uh, um, going back a few years now, uh, they did like the largest multiplayer tournament in the world. They just had this huge, huge uh, lineup of tables, um, and there was like over a hundred players playing in the same game. And uh, you know, they, the way they did it was spell radius, spell um, reach. I guess you could say it was only eight players, so you were sort of in your own little eight-man pod within that hundred. And, uh, of course, the, the numbers would eventually shrink and, uh, you know, cool stuff like that. I think there's, there's so many interesting things about the game that uh, there would still be stuff talked about online. There would still be uh, lots of articles. Lots. It's just a very deep game. So uh, even without the highest competitive level uh, dominating that, um, I think there's still lots to talk about, a lot of interesting stories. If, if we wanted to make an, uh, an analogy to the world of sports, right? If we look at sort of the MLB and all this good stuff, those are fairly recent phenomena. I mean, realistically speaking, people were playing some form of sport one way or the other uh, for millennia, right? Um, but in modern age, if you were to get rid of, say, uh, televised basketball, I think people would still play basketball. They wouldn't have sort of this focus and nexus of like, hey, we're watching the game. But as far as people actually engaging it, I don't think people always play basketball because they plan on being the next person on TV or have their face on a box of Wheaties, right? They play it because they enjoy the game. They understand they can't be the next star player. However, they still like the game. So I feel like the masses, for the most part, are kind of like the supporting driving force behind Magic. How much the pro player really influences the 
I got into magic because one day I want to be like that pool player. I don't know. I would say it's probably a minor um, portion of what's going on versus like people are playing the game because they enjoy the game. They happen to win an FNM or they won the league or whatever not. Uh, it's great. But in general, they're playing for playing, not so much because one day I'm going to make a million dollars by winning the World uh, Pro Tour of Magic, you know? I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I think personally that the, the Pro Tour is almost unnecessary at this point like maybe it made sense you know 20 years ago or yeah i guess about 20 years ago when the first one occurred and what they were trying to accomplish back then when everything was different yeah the pro tour like was an exciting cool marquee event and it was probably one of the only ones like if the world of magic has changed so much right like uh, ptqs used to be tiny it'd be like oh you get like 30 40 50 and then it just started to gradually grow until it became 200 300 400 and it became unwieldy and then they had to start splintering out into pptqs and all that other stuff so like grand prix are now massive so i still think even if the pro tour didn't exist i believe there would still be a higher level of competition like there would still probably be enough people who want to compete at a higher level to go to the star city games opens that kind of thing yeah that that level of play sure. would still exist and it wouldn't like, I don't think wizards needs the pro tour anymore. I think they could get by with what's already out there. I don't think they need a marquee event. And then maybe worlds like a world championship would be something that they could do, but I don't know how much the pro tour actually adds to like, it'd be really interesting to get some hard facts and some hard numbers of like, what does the pro tour bring to the game? Like sure. when the pro tour happens, do you see an increase in sales? Like do do people buy more magic cards because of Pro Tour Shadows of Innistrad, or were they going to buy those cards anyways? Well, the secondhand market certainly spikes. You know, when the top decks get revealed, then the cards in those top decks, you know, double in price or whatever. And that's a whole other interesting point, and uh, just like yeah. a great, great point right there, because the article refers to uh, the secondary market as a necessary evil. That's what that's. Well, none on those words, but that's yeah. kind of what they are implying, that this was kind of a, than, a parasitic sort of relationship that they have. More than that, Tom, it implies that it's not profitable in any shape or form, which... That too. I, I don't understand, but okay. But Yeah, it, it says like, they put it in a negative people light. can profit from secondary market. Like, there's only a very few people, and it's like, well... I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people are making money off magic, and I think that's part Tons of pushing the price of magic up. I think that's, uh, I personally think that's a great thing. I have no problem with that. Free market stuff, you know, if you can sell cards that people want and they're happy to do it, it's, it's a win-win situation. So I don't have a problem with that. But what you said before about how the, like, uh, the secondary market will spike during a pro tour, I yeah. think that is what kind of what he really means is mm -hmm. that sure. the negative aspect of a uh, player's experience with a game, right? Like uh, the games, the price of certain cards will spike which means the decks that they want to play are now out of reach for a lot of people because they can no longer afford it. And then also the, uh, the bad experiences of people ha that people have with uh, speculation. And like this is a... Mm. Like, as soon as there's a secondary market, there's always going to be speculators. And like, that has become... Like the feedback loop, again, has kind of made that even worse than what it used to be. It used to be like you'd pick a card and you'd kind of just hope. Hope that it goes up. Now what happens is the uh, the pro tour comes around and people start buying out websites for certain cards, hoping that the price will double or triple or whatever happens to to go down during the event, right? And like this kind of 
speculation causes a lot of uh, some bad feelings with players who can no longer get those cards. But then it also causes a lot of negative experiences with stores who find out that their stock has been, you know, they had a certain card listed at $5 and then the Pro Tour happens, spikes to 30 And now they've got an interesting choice where they can either say, well, you know, the price spiked. I don't want to sell it to you at $5, which is what happens a lot of the time, which I think is kind of, uh, it's, it's on the shady side for sure. Because as soon as somebody buys it, you should probably, you should honor that agreement. If you have it on your site and somebody purchased it and you've kind of gone through that, you should just do it. But it's like there are a lot of stories of people being essentially ripped off because a price spike happens and the store doesn't want to honor what they, uh, what they agreed to sell. I think that's, that's the negative aspect of, uh, of the secondary market that most players dislike. And well, I can, it, I can it, puts off, it really puts off customers too, like, and especially the, the less competitive uh, casual players who really spend the most money and they buy the cards that no one else will buy. Um, they're very, very important to any magic shop that, you know, they, they're thinking about buying some cards and like, Ooh, it's a $5 card. I don't know if I want to get it yet. And then they might wait a bit to, to get them. And then, you know, pro tour happens. Our prices have been updated. They come in, uh, or if we hadn't had a chance to update them, we're like, Oh, we, we just need to, uh, check the deck list from the, the, the pro tour. We'll tell them ahead of time. We haven't had time to increase the prices. We're going to go by, you know, the, the increases that happened over the weekend. And, you know, there's, it's just, it's, it's uh, very frustrating for them to then walk in. Oh my God, it's like a $20 card now. And, and, um, and now, you know, that'll go back down obviously when the set rotates out or the deck's no longer a deck, whatever. Ever, then it's going to drop down to back down to nothing, maybe two bucks a, do- a, bu- a buck, who knows. Um, but that experience that uh, is, is, is definitely a real turnoff for, uh, for customers, for sure. Yeah, I think, like, would that happen without the Pro Tour? Like, the Grand Prix, certain Grand Prix have an effect like that in the local area, but I think it's much more short-term and not nearly as destructive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, Thomas. Yeah. Just yeah. speculating. So, and, and, speculating. No, but no, you're right. There are secrets. That's part of the difficulty with this kind of stuff. There's a lot of intangibles that are very difficult to measure, right? I mean, um, you, it, it's hard to determine is the Pro Tour beneficial in driving um, recruitment and sales, or is it actually a greater um, impact in the sense that it drives people away because all of a sudden everybody that had money went after deck A, B, or C and now in the local community you're seeing I'm not going to play in this tournament so and so is going to show up with his deck of, Do- uh, deck of doom and why do I bother, you know what I mean um, yeah. so yeah, it, it's really difficult um, and I don't know <laughs> personally, again, I tend to be in favor of more casual play myself uh, but there are some players that are driven by that, and it's difficult to put it in terms of what's better. You know? mm-hmm. I think that uh, dour note's a good place to close off the show. <laughs> it's a little on the low low side, but uh, you know, I think it was a, an interesting conversation. Do you guys have anything else to, to add, some final words you want to throw out there? Play the game that you want to play. Uh, if you are competitive and you enjoy that kind of thing, by all means, 
find those competitive circuits, um, keep at it, you know, wish you best of luck, have fun. If you're not that competitive, you enjoy more casual plays, find, find that group that works for you, Friday Night Magic, Leagues, etc., etc. As Wayne put it, the beauty of Magic is you can play it at different levels. Just pay attention to the levels and don't get caught up in a frenzy that you necessarily, that is, may not be you. Um, enjoy the game for what it means to you, not for what other people are trying to make it mean for you. And, uh, you know, I really think the, the future of Magic, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's always going to continue to grow. It's, I mean, you look back uh, 20 plus years and that's what it's done. It's, it's grown every year. Um, it's spiked higher some years than others, but there's, a, there's always a continual growth. It's a very, very good game. Um, uh, the, I think the question is, will it become mainstream? Uh, will they publish this movie? Will they um, put out a, a Saturday morning cartoon? Uh, you know, they, they could market this thing in a way that could make it uh, uh, as mainstream as, as, as chess or Monopoly or, or whatever. You know, I think it has that potential, even though it is a fairly complex game. Um, you know, there's, there's enough people that are interested in complex games, uh, that it could be a mainstream, it might be a main known mainstream as like for, you know, brainiacs or nerds or whatever, but, you know, um, I, I think, uh, I think there's going to be a tipping point, uh, where they're either going to go really big or, um, you know, and, and becoming a successful esport might be part of that. I don't think it necessarily has to be, uh, you know, because they could go just with movies and cartoons or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, their ambition to be an eSport is, is huge and it's going to be tough for them. Um, and I'm very interested to see uh, what that's going to look like and how that's... Uh, I don't think it's going to impact the paper magic at all. I think it's going to become its own separate thing personally. And yeah, I think Magic's just going to continue to do well until they decide to drop it. But I don't, I don't know why they ever would. So it's a moneymaker. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm personally optimistic about the future for Magic. I think uh, Magic Digital Next, if they execute it right, and the fact that they brought on a uh, a new CEO who has a background in computer technology, I think they've got a pretty good chance of. Uh, of doing right by the stores and by the players. So I'm, I think it looks bright from here, but the next couple of years mm -hmm. will definitely, uh, definitely show if we're, we're, uh, we're right or not, but either way, thanks for coming on the show guys. It's uh, it's been great. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, glad to be here. Same here, Tom. Uh, I guess I'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks then. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, you guys Bye, have guys. a great long weekend. Oh, I plan on it. Just about to join my uh, my group to play ten hours of magic. Woo! Have fun. <laughs> okay, I hope you enjoyed that show. I want to thank John Covello and Wayne Middlestead for coming on and sharing their nuggets of wisdom with us. As always, I very much appreciate it. Don't forget that this podcast is supported by patrons like you, listeners like you. So go to patreon.com forward slash Maniverse Podcast and sign up to become a patron today. And if you don't have any money to spare, you can always help out the show by sharing, liking, if uh, you're viewing this on Facebook, 
and subscribing on iTunes. And uh, also, if you want to be a total badass, you can also help me out with a review of the show. That really helps me get found by other people on iTunes, and that would be excellent. Uh, if you want more content and episodes of the Maniverse Podcast, you can go to maniversesaga.com. As a way of closing up the show, I want to ask you guys a question. What do you think Magic Digital Next will look like? And how do you think it'll impact the business of selling Magic cards? Uh, you can uh, let me know by leaving a comment down below or on the Facebook page if that's where you're hearing this. And you can also email me at tom at maniversesaga.com. Let me know your thoughts. I would love to hear them. As always, thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.